Okay. <coughs> um, sorry, I might want to blow my nose first before I stop. Definitely putting that in the podcast intro. <laughs> People will understand that I've, I've walked across the whole the other side of the room, and like, it's that loud. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Let's do it. Welcome back to the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother Barney. How you doing, Barney? How you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all right, yeah. Last time, last proper episode we did, I was ill, and I got a bit better, and then now I'm ill again. So, so Barney's um, ill again, but it's important to say this is a new illness. It's, it's a new illness. It's just going to be ill the rest of my life it seemed but um, I'm good right, man. how about you are you you had, a, you had a lovely week last week didn't you yeah of course great week last week back in the UK it's when what's it today it's Tuesday today I've been back in the UK since last Tuesday so I've been back for a week honestly I had a great time but do you know part of me was actually quite pleased to come back I know it sounds strange but the weekend was so intense and full on mm. I was doing so much that um, on the plane back was the first time I've come back on a flight from Portugal thinking Oh, looking forward to going back into my own bed. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think that's going to last long. I think I'm already thinking about the next time I'm going to get back out there. <laughs> no, it was good, man. I, I'm very jealous. It sounded like you had a, a really good time there. You had a good time. And we should obviously say a massive thank you to everyone who listened because we were just discussing before we started recording. Um, we were blown away by the response, really. We've had such a positive response. Uh, we've had a number of nice comments on Twitter. We've had people messaging us uh, saying that they enjoyed the show. So, yeah, really, really grateful to everyone who's listened. Um, we hope to do more stuff like that in the future. It's obviously not possible to do it every week, but um, we're hoping to get, you know, a couple of specials like that, maybe one or two specials like that a season. I think that's a, a good aim. And, and, you know, I think me and Bonnie are keen to plan a proper chip, maybe to a different city. We'll have to see which one. Definitely which one we've got our eye on next well it was back to normal this week back to what we do best watching games on the tv and talking about them on this podcast and what a week to come back to to be fair Bonnie because there were some absolutely outrageous score lines we're going to come on to a lot of them we're going to be talking about Tondela Maritimo Vittoria Morenz Boavista Family Cow but of course we do always start with the big three and we're going to start with one of the most remarkable results Benfica 6 Braga 1 a game in which I fair to say Benfica's front line really sprung into life. Braga's defence was absolutely blown away. I'm going to start by asking you, Barney, did you see this result coming? Well, no, Albert, I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, I, first of all, no, I, I definitely didn't see this coming. I've been thinking a lot about Jorge Zeus because I think it's been far too easy for me to to criticise this guy. I think he's got a lot of characteristics that I, I, I personally don't like, so perhaps I can be a bit um, biased towards the guy in, in certain situations. But since two podcasts ago, and they hadn't won in the month of October in all those competitions. And, you know, I've been thinking about um, your misquote of my quote, where apparently I said that they would go the whole season unbeaten. And, and to think about that <laughs> moment where I was, I was so caught up in their success of the, at the start of the season where they were, they were looking fantastic. And then, you know, suddenly they had this blip in October. And I was like, 
this was inevitable. Jorge Zeus is, you know, he's still Jorge Zeus. He's finished. He's a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Now, but I, I really want to give him some credit because he, he really deserves it for this. I think I was into On the Continent with Andy Brasso and he was talking about Benfica and the Champions League. And he was talking about how um, Jorge Zeus' squad selection for the second Bayern Munich game where he he, he rested a few players, Otamendi, I think, um, Rafa as well, and how he sort of like how disappointing and how know, teams need to be really going for it in Champions League. That, that, this team's had the most success. But when you look at it on paper now and, and seeing him resting players for this Braga game, where they really needed this sort of performance in the league. Mm, yeah, I agree. Bold decision. He got it right. And, you know, and, it, and bringing Everton into the fold as well, despite there was all that talk about um, Everton doing a podcast in Brazil, which wasn't authorised by the club, <laughs> but still deciding to go with him. You know, he deserved credit for the decision and he deserves immense credit for the way his team performed in this game. I mean, there's so many players that you can that you can praise, right? Obviously, Grimaldo had a good game. He got his goal. Rafa, you mentioned, phenomenal. Darwin was excellent. But we do have to talk about Everton, surely, because this was definitely this guy's best game in a Benfica shirt, right? I can't be wrong about that. It reminded me, you know, it reminded me of something I said on this show right at the very beginning of the season. I think maybe in our season preview show about how Benfica are so quick to write off their players as flops. Mm. Um, maybe just just when they're going through a kind of dip in form or they're going through a difficult patch. Um, and I think, you know, people have a tendency, as I said, to write those players off as finished, right? But I think what you see in this game is three players who maybe would have fallen into that category recently, Darwin, Rafa and Everton, all showing a bit of a renaissance, uh, renaissance in form. Everton obviously is a bit different because he never really found his form. He's struggled since he's arrived. You alluded to that interview you did, Barney. I mean, he gave an, he gave an interview where he basically said he was struggling to adapt to Portugal, saying that um, he needed a translator to understand Portuguese people. A bit of a dig there. But like I said, this was certainly his best performance for Benfica and I think really showed why they spent the transfer fee on him that they did. Um, Darwin, another one, someone who struggled for form after a good start when he signed, you know, the signing of Juremchuk, I think, suggested that perhaps he was falling down the pecking order. But, you know, he's been in great form recently. Darwin's had five goals and two assists in nine Premier League games. That's great numbers. Three goals and four Champions League games. Great numbers. And Rafa, who had a very poor season last year, you know, he didn't really contribute anything last year. But now he's looking like one of the best players in the league. I mean, I was looking at him thinking, is this guy on the same level as Luis Diaz? Are we putting him up there as, you know, one of the top performers in the division? This is a guy that we laughed at when he was called up for the Selecao in the Euros. All these players are examples of what I'm saying there, where players who struggled previously, who've gone through those difficult patches, you know, who knows for what reason, maybe been written off slightly by the fans, perhaps, by the manager, by, by, by the club. But they're proving that they still have the ability to offer what we want them to offer. Yeah, and I think um, what was really exciting with this this eleven, you know, we've seen Uremstrick and Darwin start to get wrapped up a lot this season, and, and uh, Darwin will drift wide. But you know, with Rafa, Everton, and Darwin, I feel like this three were so much easier, better at like intertwining, you know, um, and um, the relationships were better. I just thought it was a it was such a good, you know, because for me, you know, Uremstrick's going to struggle to get back into this team now after that performance. Definitely, you know? definitely. And um, I thought Weigel had a a fantastic game as well. It's probably one of the best best performances I've seen from him. He's going to have to step up now because, you know, the negative side to this game for Benfica has got to be the injuries. Verissimo, of course. Jao Mario Um, You know, if Jao Mario's out for a while, Weigl's going to have to step up in that position. Um, that could be costly. But then also, you know, this is where Jorge used to have more credit as well. Bringing in Paolo Bernardo to, for the inter Jao Mario, you know, during the game. And what performance that was. Um, I don't know, what, what do you think about this, Albert? Because after the game, Jorge said this about Paolo Bernardo. 
he'll be one of Benfica's greatest players in the future. Wow. It's a lot of pressure, man. It's, it's yeah, he's just trying to give the kid a boost, isn't he? <laughs> I, I, I really liked him. He looked, he looked fantastic when he came over. I really, and just out of nowhere, I'd, I'd never heard of the guy before this game. Well, obviously, as you say, you know, the injuries were the, the downside to this game. Hopefully, that particular injury might, yeah, there's going to be a positive that comes out of it. Maybe another young player from Benfica's youth team gets the first team and it's will be one of it. Obviously, um, Rafa also went off injured, but the two most serious injuries came from Lucas Verismo and uh, Sakera from Braga, both of whom it's confirmed will miss the rest of the season. So we obviously wish them all the best in their recoveries. Uh, let's talk about Braga, though, because it wasn't all bad to start with. You know, when they went 1-0 down, they still looked very bright. The goal they got back through Ricardo Horta I thought was a very good goal. And it was a strange one because I, I still thought they were very much in the game, even at 3-1 down, you know, and I was watching the English commentary on BT Sport and Scott Minto was doing the commentary and he was saying the same thing, you know, they were 3-1 down, but they were still in the game. They still had their chances and they got another goal. They're back in the game. Obviously, it didn't go how they wanted and, and 6-1 is a very, very hefty scoreline. Can you put this da- defeat down just to poor defending? Because it was surprisingly poor, I thought. We've just started to enjoy a kind of great run of form for Braga where they looked very capable of controlling games. I'm thinking back to how they played in the Europa League, how they played against Porto and Enns, where they were perfectly capable of controlling the game. But in this game, they just looked completely blown away by Benfica, unable to get a foothold in the game. As I said, maybe that first 30 minutes or so they had their chances. But, you know, this type of performance where they really were passengers, uh, it's not something we've really expected from them in, in, in recent times. I think uh, Carlos Carvel came out after the game and you know he shouldered a lot of the blame, saying that um, he kept playing with this high high defensive line and that was his call to to do that because you know Benfica were having so much joy in, in behind you know and like you said they were just they were torn apart sometimes. The thing I feel about Braga and seeing them, you know, I think you're right about last week in the Porto Men's game they got ahead and they they were able to control the game. But what I've seen far too often is you know if they're not the ones. To, to get the first goal, if they're not the ones to the to get a foothold in the game, I feel like they they never seem to come up with any answers, and mm. I think that's what happened in this game. You know, yes, their original game plan went quite well, like you said, they were they were sort of still in it the first half, but when things started to get worse in the second half, there was just they had nothing. They, they didn't change anything. I felt, and that's been my main criticism of Carlos Carvalho this this season is that we've seen him be very clever. In, in the build-ups of games and the preparation for games, you know, perhaps the way he sets up a team. But then when it comes down to what's happening on the pitch during this game, I feel like it's very hard for him to, to change and influence things from the sidelines. Mm, very interesting. Do you think they still got an issue at centre-back? Because obviously we, we we praised Diego late when he came in and I still think he'll be a good asset to that club. But outside of that, I, I'm still not really convinced by any of their centre-back options. I mean, Oliveira, the new centre-back, really yet to convince me David Carmo yet to come back. He didn't even really convince me last year. So I am slightly worried. You know, when we saw Diego Lake coming and doing well, I thought they might have plugged a hole there. But a, a, a game like this, when you come up against a strike force as strong as, as Benfica's, I think it's really kind of shown up the issues that still lie in that in that back line. I actually feel more concerned about the, the fullbacks, however, because... Um... You know, I, I, you know that we have seen some errors from from their centre backs um, this season. And there's been a lot of combinations of centre backs as well. You know, I, I feel like the full backs on the right hand side with Fabiano or Kuto, very marauding, a very um, also very slight um, full backs. You know, that their their main attribute is just getting forward and being quite skillful and having pace to recover. But 
when it comes to the actual physicality of defending, I feel like that they're they're not as there's not as good. And then on that left hand side, you know, when security went off, it hasn't felt balanced at all. I, I, I if I think of a Braga back line, I just see four players not in a line at all, all sort of dotted about playing at different depths of the pitch. And I think that I think that's but that's a real issue they've got there. I would, like I said at the beginning of this album, I was so shocked because I thought their performance game before Tim and Ends was brilliant, fantastic. You know, players looking really good and then you know, I mean, Maserati had a poor game this game. Yeah, he did, he did that's most true, that's true. Lost a lot of possession. It just, it just wasn't a good day for them, was it? They did play in Europe two days after Benfica. So, you know, maybe there could be a fatigue factor there. But no, definitely, definitely not the result we expected. And international break coming up. So a bit of time to to reset, as they say, one of the great football cliches. And yeah, regroup before the next game coming back from, from the international break. I think the main headline for this is because, like I said before, I, I've been very critical of Hogazus in the past, but the main headline from this has got to be, you know, they Benfica went through the whole of October without winning in all competitions and then bang, back with a 6-1 defeat against, you know, your rivals Braga. And um, mm. yeah, it's brilliant for Hogazus to get his players back up and, and, and playing like the way they did. 100%. Well, let's talk about Porto, Barney, and they had another comfortable win over Santa Clara, 3-0. That's the fourth Premier League game in a row that Porto have scored more than three goals in uh, and another two goals for Luis Diaz. I said last week that he never scores a header. What does he do then? Goes and scores two in two games. But look, very, very comfortable game all round from them. Yeah, I, I, another really comfortable game. On, on Luis Diaz, I'm, I'm really interested in the in the hype around him and and the rumours about the potential moves. Because like the big one is Newcastle, right? And I'm, I'm interested mm-hmm. in whether that's people saying that, you know, they got tons of money now and he's one of the best players in Europe. So of course that's going to happen. Or it's because people think that that's his level because I don't know why there's not more solid rumours about, you know, proper top Champions League clubs because, you know, if Barca weren't in the situation they're in, I feel like he would be a perfect for them, fit for them mm. to do. I think, I think he's that good. I think I've heard rumours about Bayern Munich as well. Maybe there's a link with a, a former coach or something there. I've definitely heard that link. But I agree. I feel like this guy is showing that he he could make the step up. It's funny because last year, I think the criticism of him was maybe he was a bit erratic. There was a few inconsistencies, yeah. but the way he's added consistency to his finishing and the goals he's added to his game, you cannot argue with the numbers. Obviously, he always had the pace, he always had the skill, he always had that dynamism. But uh, yeah, the, the, the consistency he's adding in terms of his, his goal scoring and, you know, I suppose in his his final ball as well is is, is really helping. I want to talk about Sergio Oliveira, Barney. He, he got on the score sheet. Um, he's an interesting one because he felt so important last year. He felt like such a vital part of that team that did so well in the Champions League. And this year he's really struggled to get in the team. I feel like he's chipped in with a few goals. I haven't got the numbers, but I feel like he has scored a couple. Uh, and he got a trademark long-range finish for Porto's opener in this game. Do you think Sergio Contessao should be bringing him back into the fold? Because when you look at their other centre midfield options, the likes of Uribe, Grujic, Bruno Costa, who's started quite a lot of the season, but has kind of fallen out of favour himself, I think he still offers a lot in that group of players. You know, you've got the youngsters like Vitinha, like Fabio Vieira, who offer more as attacking midfielders. But in those deeper midfield roles, I still can't help but feel like Oliveira has still got plenty to offer in that position. The way I see it, Albert, is like, you know, Uribe's out injured at the moment. I feel like his replacement will be Grujic. Perhaps he's more defensive and a, a bit more combative than Sergio Oliveira. And then you mentioned Vettini, who's obviously been given a run but, and, and put some in ridiculously good performances. But So I feel like Conscious Hours sort of really does see the two centre midfielders as, as two different characters. And I, I do class Sergio Oliveira 
in the other one, which where Vettini's been playing a lot. I think that rotation is going to be incredibly useful for them because, you know, last season, uh, a lot was asked of Sergio Oliveira. He had to play every game. I, I don't remember ever him seeing him tired, but, you know, if you're going to be playing every game all season, it's going to take your toll. And I think mm. you know, that, that, that rotation that um, Contrasau has this the option of this season is incredibly important. I, I think Sergio Oliveira deserves a lot of credit as well because I... He's never kicked up a stink, has he? There was no talk about him forcing for a move. And, you know, that just that little thing of celebrating with Conscious Al when he did score in this game, it's, it's just a real class and just sort of, you know, it's just really clever. It just sort of stamps out any potential rumours of a rift between us or whatever they you know, present to United Front. So I think, um, I do think we're going to see a lot more of him, but I also think, you know, Vitinha is, is the main man in that other central midfield position, if you see him. If he did start playing... Oliveira ahead of Vettini. I think I would have an issue with that. I think you also just alluded to, Barney, that Contessao has been sticking with his beloved 4-4-2 formation. He seems to love it so much. Two centre midfielders, two wingers, and two strikers up top. Neither of the strikers in this game got on a score sheet, but Evan Nielsen has been getting a lot more minutes recently. Uh, he's someone whose absence was quite notable last year after they put a decent chunk of money on him to bring him over from Brazil. But he looks very solid up top. He scored two very good goals against Burbista last week. Tell me what you've made of him so far from what you've seen, because for me, I've been very impressed with a striker who, when you look at him, looks kind of stocky, looks like he's not, you know, too mobile, can't really see what, uh, the big, big deal with him is but when you watch him play he seems like quite a composed finisher quite surprisingly dynamic when I watch him play as well I'm really really growing to like him but I think like I, like you had a lot of doubts about him last season I felt when he did get an opportunity he sort of he would disappear for large stretches of the game you know you wouldn't really see him and then this season I've just seen him you know he, he works so hard in getting the ball yeah, back. yeah. That's, that's what I've noticed last few games and you know that would have been conscious how working on working on him you know we got mm. we got to admit that credit to him there I mean this game I remember him maybe nicking the ball and then doing just this lovely little bit of skill to get go backwards away from the the opposition's goal but just you know just keep keep control and I thought that was that was really good I think um yeah, he's 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 taking his opportunity this season, and I think um, we could we could see a lot more of him. You mentioned his two goals that that needs to keep ticking over. I know he's got Taremi yeah. in the team as well, but if he keeps his goals tallied up, yeah, yeah, he, he he's looking good. If he can get to ten plus goals this season, I think that'll be that'll be very good for a player like him. Um, let's talk about Santa Clara, Barney. At what point should we should we start getting worried about this team because we loved them so much last season, but the drop off in form this year has been pretty dramatic. They're rock bottom of the table on six points from 11 games. They've had one win all season. New manager Nuno Campos has obviously come in. And other than that surprise win over Porto in the Cup, he's lost twice in the league, including against BSAD of all teams. He's the manager who gave BSAD their only win of the season. So, look, maybe it's too early to judge. But right now, they're in a very deep hole. And I do worry about how they're going to get out of it. I was trying to look for positives in, in this game, what Nuno Campos did. And I thought playing with... Um... Nene and Marita as a sort of double pivot was was right for this game, but apart from that, but you we got to be honest. I I think there's very little he can do with this squad. You know, mm. it's 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 not strong enough, um, particularly at the back. I know Villanueva's out and they, they obviously lost Cardoso, but um, Tassano, I don't know for some reason, but he stood out for me as 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 a real weak link. <laughs> like I just I just think he's a liability. I just uh, every time I see him, and I think it's going to be interesting in January transfer because. If you look at what Santa Clara did last season, you know, they lost a couple of players, but they brought in Marita and Alana. They were mm. active. They they made moves to replace players and, and they came out strong with it. But they have to do that this winter. They they absolutely have to. I have to say, I do worry about whether we'll see the opposite of anything in January about which of those players 
you know they might be tempted to to cash in on. Hmm. We'll see. I have to say, I was I was disappointed with the uh, Alano red. You know the two yellow cards. I'm glad you brought this up. Go on. Well, the, the first of all, the first one was never yellow, and I, I, I've really hundred percent. But this is where it gets interesting, right? Because I I felt like when I saw him get that yellow card, I was like, this guy's getting sent off, and, and that, <laughs> because you know you just the story's reaction, and I. I I think it's a really interesting because I, I don't know why, but I always feel like I know when a person's going to get a second yellow. And I, I, if I was a manager, I, I, I would have taken off. But then also he is probably one of your best attacking players. So I, I don't know. But um, yeah, I, I did feel for him. And I think it was a, you know, it obviously didn't help Santa Clara in this game. I'm glad you brought it up, Barney. I almost forgot to talk about it because it has to be one of the <laughs> unluckiest red cards I've ever seen given. Not only was the first not a yellow card, I feel like the second wasn't a yellow card. I feel really like... I feel really bad for this yeah. guy. I mean, obviously, it's difficult to explain to the listeners. If you've not watched it, go to watch the highlights of this game on YouTube because they show both the incidents uh, in the highlights and, and make your own mind up. Let us know what you think. But for me, I just thought it was, you know, easily one of the most unlucky red cards I've seen in a long time. The guy, he, he, he was almost laughing when he went, walked off the pitch because he kind of couldn't, yeah. couldn't believe it. I think like you, you probably just had that feeling that um it was probably going to happen they're going to miss him next game and you know he's like i said he, he's, he's one of their better attacking options another positive because i was really trying really trying to put a positive spin on santa Clara. But, uh, <laughs> i thought ricardo ferrari in goal made some pretty impressive saves um yeah. i think but uh yeah apart from now but like i said i think this is a a really chopped off job near the campus is you know he's brave he was brave to take it because they were in a, an awkward position i thought and um we'll have to see what happens early days only a few games in charge so we'll judge him after a few more games after they've had a bit more time to, to settle in let's do the last of the big three barley let's do pasos de ferreira versus sporting game that ended two nil to sporting they carried on their winning streak at six wins in a row now uh a comfortable win over pass away from home and although in the end i did think pasos looked pretty decent um the, one I want to, the thing I want to talk about, though, Barney, is that just to give the listeners a glimpse behind the scenes, every week, you know, we talk about a big three first. And when we discuss the order of the games, we broadly order the games in order of what's going to be the most interesting to talk about. Right. I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, but I feel like we've talked about sporting third out of the big three mm. every single week. So it just made me think, Barney, are sporting getting boring? Because I looked back over their recent results and honestly... I can't remember much about any of them. They beat Passos 2-0 this week, obviously. Last week, it was 1-0 versus Moratoria. It was 1-0 versus Moramans the week before that. In the Champions League, don't get me wrong, in the Champions League, they're killing it. But I just feel like the kind of excitement and intensity of the sporting that we saw last year, it's kind of dropped off a bit. I mentioned um, a couple of weeks ago that I felt there was this staleness around sporting, right? And I was actually being quite critical of that. I thought it was a very critical thing. Um, But... I think the more I thought about it, it's it's just the fact that Pote and Paulinho need to start scoring. And you know, Pote did it in this game, <laughs> and if you know, if Paulinho doesn't the league, they're going to be absolutely dangerous out because they're they're built on. You know, we saw this last season. Amarin's built a ridiculously strong defensive team. You know, is I think they've got one of the best defenses in Europe currently. I think they've only scored four goals this season in the league. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. and like you said, it is when you're watching the games, it perhaps isn't as exciting. <laughs> but there is a still, there's a still real art about it, and, and um, I think um, we do need to give them credit. I think they're as dangerous as Porto look at the moment in terms of their in terms of points that they're going to be putting on the board. You know, it, though they're not winning three or four nil, you can also, almost guarantee they're going to get results. Well, look, it's important to say, but obviously I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek here, having a little bit of a dig. 
it's important to say that they're joint top on 29 points with Porto. So they're not having a bad season at all. Although the one thing I will say, in the top three, Porto have got goal difference of 21. Benfica have got goal difference of 20. Sporting only got a goal difference of 13. So I think, you know, they are scoring less goals. But as you say, you know, if Polinio put away one at least of all the sitters that he gets every game, <laughs> they have a few more goals on the board. Albert, I've got a line of conversation that will spice this sporting chat up. Are you ready for <laughs> go it? On then. Yeah, go on. I think this guy is better than Porro. Oh, mate. <laughs> I can hear the subscriber count going down as we speak. <laughs> nah, I, what I mean is, like, when when I've watched this guy play in the sporting team, I've like I've, I remember at the very beginning of the season when Poro was injured and he got a few games, out, and I've, I had the same thought then. I just think that he's better at getting to the byline and putting. I feel like he's putting dangerous crossing. I always, when I imagine Poro playing for Sporting, he's heading towards the goal, maybe having a shot. But when I but when I see his guy playing, he's you know he's always an option, an overlapping option. He, I feel like he's puts dangerous balls in, um, which works quite well for the way Sporting play. Don't get me wrong, you know Porro's got a start. You know I'm, I really they they've made that move permanent now, haven't they? I think, yeah. Um, which which is great for Sporting. I just do I do feel you know it's the reason Amarin bought his guy is to have options when they if they want to compete in the Champions League. But I just like I just think I prefer seeing his guy bombing down that right putting across and get into the byline then then I then I do watch but I'd love to see Poro take free kicks all day don't get me wrong but you know in in the in open play I think I prefer his guy well you know I I will take the point that um obviously Poro's had his injury issues this year and hasn't hasn't made the impact that that he had did last year and I will also always say that Ricardo Esquire is a massively underrated fullback and I think he is good enough a fullback to start for sporting every single week but for me I think Poro is the better footballer he's, the, he's also younger and I think he's got a much higher ceiling than, than what Esgaia had but no I totally agree yeah. we said it quite a few weeks back now I think we again maybe another thing we said in the early weeks of the show or even the pre-season preview show we know how important those fullback those wingback positions are for sporting and I think it made a lot of sense because a lot of people questioned the price tag that Esgaia came with I think it was really important for them to invest in those positions based on, you know, the rotation that they were going to need to compete in multiple tournaments. And I think the importance of those position, of that position, particularly at, at wing back to that team, uh, cannot be underestimated. And I think we've seen them struggle since losing, losing Nuno Mendes on that left-hand side. Well, I, I think the decisions to put Nuno Santos out there in, in the, the few games we've seen him out there is, is worked really well. I, I, you know, we, you mentioned it before, I think about Mateus race, you know, turning into good performances. Yeah. That deserves immense credit to Amarin as well, because, you know, it, it did seem balmy on paper, that decision to play him in, in, in one of the three centre-backs. But I tell you what, he he's identified a, a weakness that Fidel has, I think, which is when Fidel hasn't got an option to pass up the line, on his left foot, I feel like he struggles and has been caught out a few times. But, you know, with race, you've got that person who's a bit more comfortable, a bit nippy and can get himself out, out of trouble in those situations and so can deal with a press a bit better than Fidel. So, and, you know, defensively as well, I, I, I think of a, a block against Antunes that he did in this game. It was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, there's, this is the thing, Albert, there's, there's, if you just got to look a little bit below the surface, see what Amarin's doing and, you know, they're, you know, they're, 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 looking, they're looking really good. <laughs> <laughs> it might not be exciting on the outside, but you look yeah, all right. <laughs> for, for thickos like me, maybe it's not. Uh, it's not exciting. No, no. Like I said, and, and I want to reiterate this because I can already hear 
the keyboard warriors typing at me. I want to be very clear. Sporting deserves to be where they are in the table and, and they're having a great season. I just, you know, for part of me does think that, you know, they're probably scoring a few less goals than last year and, and winning in different ways, but still absolutely having a great season. Before we, before we move on, Barney, we should just talk about Passos. I, as I mentioned in, at the beginning of this segment, I didn't think they looked that bad. I thought they looked pretty decent. In fact, I think they had, they had a decent second half and, and I think they probably were unlucky not to score in the game. I don't think they deserve to win. I don't think they really even deserve to get a point. But, you know, this is not a bad team. Um, they're not quite the exciting team that they were last year, of course, when when they walked into those European places. But they're doing OK. What do you make of them so far? We went from being very negative about them at the very beginning of the season. Then they had their um, Europa Conference League journey and we got excited about them. But, you know, now, you know, we, we see what they're missing and that's those attacking options that, you know, they had those great players on loan. And, but now, you know, Nielsen doesn't seem to be the answer for goals. I, I think he's sort of fallen out of favour. Jao Pedro, who played in this game, I think has shown, you know, glimpses of being a decent striker, but is is very much a, a, a rough, raw player. I think he needs to be honed a little bit more. Because, yeah, I think the, the midfield's good. The defence is decent. Uh, um, has, you know, organised that team well in those areas. But, it's you know, it's, it's, you look at the wingers, you look at the strikers, and it's just not the quality is not, not as there. I, I, I want to see a bit more of Machi, Machoy Jiao, the 18-year-old, you know. Mm. But like I said, I think George Mao prefers his more experienced players so far from what we've seen this season. Yeah, I don't think they've settled on that front line, have they, really? I think we've seen them quite play a few different combinations of that front three. And I was quite impressed with Dinelson Jr., but I don't think he's even really getting that many minutes uh, these days. Just a quick one on George Samal Barney. I'm always intrigued by current employed managers who are very active on social media. Uh, and George Samal is a very interesting follow on Twitter. He always gives quite a considered uh, statement after his, each game. So I, I recommend giving him a little follow on Twitter. It's quite interesting. Does he do book reviews? Or has he just posted one tweet about a book? <laughs> I haven't noticed the book reviews. <laughs> Maybe it's just the one off. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, just George somehow and uh, Francisco Gerard is sitting there chatting about books. <laughs> Well, let's move on from the big three, Barney, and the most remarkable game of the week and possibly of the season so far happened down in Porto at Boa Vista versus Famalicão. Seven goals, two red cards and drama from beginning to end as the game ended 5-2 to Famalicão with a brace from Simon Banza and goals from 18-year-old Pedro Brazil as well as 20-year-old captain Alexandre Penetra. Barney, there are a number of players that we have to talk about here. But I have to start with Penetra, the former Benfica youth player. What an impact this guy is having this season at centre-back. He's captaining the side at just 20 years old. He scored his first goal in this game. And this week was also called up to the Portugal under-21 squad. You tell me if I'm getting carried away with myself, Barney. But honestly, for me, this guy looks like an absolute revelation. Well, I think the thing with Family Cow is that I felt like the whole of last season as well, we were, we were always saying they need to sort out the defence, they need to find a combination. And, you know, because they've always had young, exciting centre-backs with potential, like the Quiros is there. Um, I think, although he's gone out alone, I can't remember. The Brazilian Riquelli, Patrick Winning, who is now at Estro, of course. You know, these were exciting, promising young centre-backs, but it never works. It, it never combined well. And now Penetra's come in. I've got to be honest, I was... The first few games I saw him, I thought I wasn't convinced. I think of that um, red card he got against. Yeah, he got a poor red Tund- card, didn't he? Yeah, in Tunde game, 
but man, he deserves an immense amount of credit for you know coming back from that. And you know, he's obviously very talented. He's got a mature head on those shoulders. But I also think Ivor Vieira deserves a lot of credit too for this move because you know you mentioned that he's got the armband. He's trusting him. He's given him that responsibility, and he, he's really not letting him down. And the the two wins this season have come from this back four that they played with with Panetra and Alex in the back. Um, and perhaps more importantly, with um, Pickle and Pepe in front of them in the, in the double pivot. And though they did concede two goals in this game, and, and there are still mistakes and there's areas to be improved, this combination of players is the one for me and, and it, it's, it's setting up so well. Well, I think the thing I loved about this performance, Barney, uh, is it showed Family Cow playing the kind of football that I expected from them. Now, everyone who listens to the show and has listened since the beginning of of this series, of this season, will know that I predicted Family Cow to finish in the European places. Now, that was based on my assessment of how they ended last year, the way they were playing under Ivo Vieira. And when I watched them play, I was just thinking they were playing with this fearlessness, this ruthlessness, this uh, aggression, uh, this complete commitment to the game that impressed me so much. Now, obviously, we know they've struggled this season. And when we were talking about them struggling and why we thought about they were going wrong, I was always trying to articulate that there was something missing compared to last season. And it was those kind of things because it wasn't it wasn't personnel, it wasn't players, it wasn't position by position, it was mentality that was different. It was that that drive that wasn't there. Well, the thing I loved about this game was that all of that was back in abundance, you know, the aggression that they showed, the way they attacked every attacking opportunity, the desire to play, the ruthlessness, you know, the fearlessness that they that they played with, that they attacked with, that was what was back. And I think that was what um, was so impressive for me. I, I don't even know where to start, really, because there's so many players we have to talk about. We'll come on to Simon Banza. I was so impressed with Pedro Brazil, 18 years old, this kid, number eight, playing attacking midfielder, new signing from Nice, only making one of his first ever appearances from Family Cow, by the way, in this game. But he was playing with absolute swagger, right? There's no other word for it. He got his first goal in the first three minutes. And then his assist for Simon Banza for Family Cow's second was a no-look pass. Honestly, if you're not watched the replay, again, this is another one you need to go back and watch because just the audacity that this kid has to pull off a no-look pass in that situation. You know, there's only a certain type of player that that even goes through their head to try and pull off. Um, so it's just those little things that I just was so impressed with um, with him. He looks like a really shrewd signing as well because I know he was very highly rated at Nice. I know he kind of went out of favour on a couple of loan spells where he didn't really perform. So it seems like they've really spied an opportunity to pick up an uh, undervalued player uh, in Pedro Brazil. I've, I've been waiting to see this guy. When As soon as they saw, I saw him sign, sign family car sign him, I was like, I cannot wait to see this guy. Albert, Albert, he reminded me a little bit of Angel Gomez, you know, the, the yeah, way he was yeah, operating in that position and how, and how creative he was. And, you know, his eye for a pass, his, his one-touch passing. Um, you know, yeah, I thought he was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, you know what's interesting? You know, him, Banza, Pickle, Heriberto Tavares have all come from France. And I know Brazil and Tavares are Portuguese, but, you know, Banza from Lons, Pickle from uh, Clermont in League Two. Once again, these are all fantastically smart signings from Family Cow. You know, you know, mm, real yeah. eye for a player, and I think, um, yeah, Brazil's looking like a, a looking really exciting. You know, I think I said it on Twitter actually in one of the conversations I was having while the game was going on. I think Family Cow have one of the most impressive scouting departments in in the league because the players that they pick up, the kind of gems that they're able to find from a really diverse 
uh, array of sources as well. You know, they're not picking up players from the lower leagues in Portugal. They're not just picking up players from South America. You know, there's players that come from all over the place. And Simon Banzo is just an incredible example of that. Let's talk about this guy, Barney, because he's now sitting on seven goals in seven Premier League games. He's got nine goals in all nine games he's played in all competitions. Signed on loan from, I believe it's Lons in France, you know. Where did they get this guy from? Because he just looks like the perfect player to be playing that position. When you watch him play, it's not like he's scoring worldies every shot, you know. He just always seems to find himself in the right place at the right time. And he always just seems to have a very easy finish. But he does it time and time again. So he just seems like the perfect player they found to fit into that system that they want to play. And he's just picking up goals for fun every game. Instinctively, he's, he's a he seems like a natural striker. You know, you mm. mentioned like the way he just pops up in the right place at the right time. Oh, but what I thought was so clever in this game by Ivo Vieira was they they knew both of the strengths, which which you know uh, is hitting teams on the break. They've had the least amount of possession this season, you know, and so what they did, which I thought was so clever, is that they let them have the ball and, and play it across the back line, and then hit them with a quick press, and that's where their first two goals came from. I think that was such a good move because. You saw, um, I think Boavista ended up taking off uh, Ilori, the centre-back, and they brought on Nathan, who was a player who was much better and more comfortable in the board than uh, Thiago Ilori is. And, you know, Famalakal forced them to make that change. You know, uh, Bo- I think Boavista had like 48% possession, which is like like one of the highest percent, uh, amount of possession they've had all season. And so I know it's a weird thing to say when they say let them have possession, but... you. Managers do do that, and, and it's, a, it's a clever tactic, and Ivan Vieira got it, got it spot on. Well, as you say, I think it suits the way the team... This I think it suits this team, you know, I think it suits the players that they have, and, you know, I think um, with the kind of quick players that they got on the wings, I think it it makes a lot of sense, and I think they did very well. Let's talk about Boa Vista, though, Barney, because it's been a, a difficult few weeks for them, obviously... 4-1 against Porto and now 5-2 against Family Cow. They, they've conceded a lot of goals in two games. Obviously, they weren't helped by uh, the red cards of Reggie Cannon. And poor Reggie, because I could see that red card coming a mile off. He was running with his man, behind his man, shoulder to shoulder for about 10 metres. I was like, don't bring him down. Don't bring him down. Don't bring him down. What does he do? He brings, he brings him down and it's the last man. So it's a red card. Very difficult, but... I don't know, because we were full of praise for them recently because they had been doing very well and they had got into a decent run of form considering, you know, the limitations that they have this season in terms of personnel and signings, etc. Very difficult couple of games. Do you think this is kind of them showing perhaps their real level after maybe a few exceptional weeks? Or do you think it's the other way around? Do you think this is a dip in form and, and they'll be back to where they were a couple of weeks ago soon? I think it's the it was the wrong game for them. I think you know they they've had a lot of success of doing what they do well, but when they came up against this team, you know, they what I what I thought was glaringly obvious in this one was that you know you look at Brazil, you look at Ivan Jamie for Family Cow, mm-hmm. you know though, that that sort of player. Both of us don't have anybody like that in their squad. You know, they're, 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 there's no one who is going to uh, you know have that creativity Fred a ball through you know Sarah and Gori are, are very good wingers and you know they're, they're good at those jobs but no there's no one in the middle and, and I feel that's what they need in this game and they're perhaps too stubborn and sticking with this, the same tactics and this, they need to do something different I think they just they just got found out by a very uh, good family cow side and, 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 a, and a, some good decision from Ivo Vieira 
Well, they had Angel Gomez last year, didn't they? To do that for them. Exactly. That's why I compared Brazil to Angel Gomez because, you know, it's such a different Boa Vista team from last season. Well, we're going to move on to the next game, Barney, but I've just found my stats that I, I got on Alexandre Penetra. So I just want to end on this. 90 minutes the guy played. He got one goal. Had 68 touches of the ball with 96.4% passing accuracy. Three clearances, three interceptions, two tackles, two out of two ground jewels won, and four out of five long ball accuracy. The kid had a great game. If there's anyone listening who's going to be keeping an eye on a Portugal under 21 uh, games coming up on the international break, make sure you keep an eye out for this kid. But let's do Vittorio versus Morarens, Barney. A welcome 2-1 win in a, a relatively local derby between Vittoria and Morarens. Of course, a game significant for the return of Joao Henriquez to the Estadio Dom Afonso Henriquez. A game which I thought was pretty entertaining, relatively even. I thought that Vittoria dominated the first half but Morarens gave a much better showing of themselves in the second half. Vittoria took all three points and it was a goal from Marcus Edwards which opened the scoring. He's really starting to find some good form now, I think. Yeah, it, it really looks like the, everything's starting to click for him. I think Pepper's obviously distilled, uh, given him that confidence back, you know, we know that the, the play, the quality he has in him, and he's really starting to look like one of the better players in this league. And of course, uh, Duarte got their second goal and I was quite pleased for him. Um, he got the assist from Eduardo Carisma from the corner. I was quite pleased with him, Barney, because if you saw the chance that he missed, that Carisma laid off for him on a plate, I think he was about to get battered in the changing room by Eduardo Carisma if he hadn't scored. So I'm sure he was pleased to get a second goal. But as I alluded to, Barney, Morrowinds, although not great in the first half, would probably be gutted not to have got two goals in that second half. I think you can certainly say that they deserved to score on a couple of occasions. I think by the end of the game, a lot of, a lot of the stats were actually in Morrowinds' favour. They had 19 shots compared to Pretoria's 11, eight on target compared to Pretoria's five, and nine corners compared to Pretoria's five corners. So, with all all with relatively even possession. So, they may well feel aggrieved not to be walking away from this game with something. I do agree, but I feel like we've said that quite a few times about Morons this season so far. And I think I'm starting to get a bit worried for them. But I think I've been very critical towards Jao Henriquez in the past, but I, I do think there's a lot of blame to be laid at his door still. I think. One thing I don't understand is what Andre Lewis has to do to get a start. You know, the guy's five goals in 299 minutes of football, you know, all as a sum. And, uh, you know, I I know we love Raphael Martins, but Andre Lewis has shown some magic and a a bit of a spark, you know, something that they they could need. And another player as well that I think, you know, Rafa Suarez, the young attacking midfielder, you know, he got called up to the Portuguese under-21s last season. He's completely fallen out of flavour. His, his minutes are just dropping off and off. And, you know, I felt that they were missing a, they're missing a player like him. You know, they have the second lowest possession stats this season in the league. And they have the lowest pass accuracy in the league. I think their attacking options suit them for quick counter-attacking play in, in, in like Pires and Walton Silva. And um, they played the young Brazilian uh, Derek Lacarda, the, um, the 22-year-old in this game. Uh, and he was pretty decent too on this left-hand side. But... When you're doing that style of play, are so much of your midfielders, so much of your defenders who are going to be out of possession for so long in games. It's It just asks a lot of the players. And I think it just doesn't seem like, once again, that Jao Henriquez is getting the best out of his best players. Promising young creative player falling out of favour under Jao Henriquez. Where exactly. have I heard that one before? <laughs> well, look, it was a very important win for Victoria in the end. That makes their recent history look a lot healthier, I think. That's three wins from their last five games. They're seventh in the table, only three points off fifth, and they're definitely improving. What about Morarens, though, Barney? What have they got coming up, and what do you think of their position in the table? 
Well, the next five games are, are Gil Vicente, Tonde, Portimonense, Bovista and Astral. And, you know, for me, they, they have to be winning two or three of those games in that run to mm. turn finger rounds. But then, you know, when you look at those draws, I, I don't see it happening. You know, they're, 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 they're just above B-side on, uh, on head-to-head at the moment, uh, keeping them out of the playoff um, relegation playoff spot. So, but um, yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. Them with Santa Clara are my two biggest worries at the moment. You can't really see where the wins are coming from, can you, oh, really? No, and I, sorry, I did say Morens and Santa Clara are my two biggest worries, but I think the next team we're going to talk about is, is my biggest worry. Well, look, let's move on to that team then, Barney, and do the last game of the week this week that we're going to do another incredible scoreline. I said at the beginning there was a number of remarkable games and games don't really come much more remarkable than Tondela 4, Maritimo 2, a game which saw Tondela 3-0 up at halftime after a hat-trick of penalties. For Captain Joel Pedro, I certainly cannot recall ever seeing three penalties scored in the same game, let alone by the same player in one half. I'm a very big believer in a player shouldn't take more than one penalty in the game. Because, <laughs> like, surely the goalkeeper has an advantage after the first one. He would just get in your head. And well, you know, this guys... is actually a very serious question that I had to ask you, Barney. Should the keeper have done better? Right? Because a keeper surely will say, obviously, the penalty favours the striker. But when you get three penalties against the same player, I think he went the right way for at least one of them. But surely he's got to be, be getting one of those pens. That's what I mean. Like, I feel like, you know, I, I didn't watch this game live. I saw when I at halftime when I saw that three penalties had been scored by the same player, I was like, I went straight into the highlights. And I was like, please, please, all be straight down the middle, all be in the same spot. <laughs> that would have been so good. <laughs> uh, but you know, that's what he did well. He, he put one in the middle, one in the bottom left, one in the top right. You know, he just like kept the keeper guessing. Uh, for for me, uh, the the real issue in, in this game was you know, Maurice Rose's defense. Yeah, you know, mm. three mm. sloppy penalties. I don't think there was for me there was there was no real question about the penalties. I thought they were all yeah. legit pens. It's exactly not what they needed. This is I know it's early in the season, but this is potentially a six pointer. Yeah, you know this is a really important tie, and for your defenders to to, to let you down like this and just it was it was crazy. I mean, you're spot on there, and, and you know we laugh about this game, like because it, you know it, it is a bit of a, a bizarre one. But as you say, it was also just a very, very poor from Maritimo. I think you're spot on. All three were pens for me. Fair enough. Maybe they get a little bit of unlucky with the handballs, but the third one definitely was just a stupid challenge. And when you're two 0 down and you've already given away two penalties and you're giving away and you're putting in challenges like that in the box. I, I just don't know what you're doing. You're, you're letting your team down there. So, you know, they find themselves three goals and a man down, it's important to say, before the first half is even finished. Uh, and they've got a mountain to climb. That said, I will say, I thought they looked quite decent when they came out in the second half. And kudos to the manager, because I think he clearly gave them a talking to at half time, and, and that team was dazed in the first half. They were shocked. And he clearly kind of got their heads together. Uh, and they, they kind of put a... Uh, a decent performances. I think they deserve their two goals. But obviously, when you're you're two, when you're three 0 down, you're ten men down. Um, you're giving yourself a amount to climb, and, and I don't think they can have any complaints at all uh, about about the end result. Well, look, Joe Tagu came back on in the second half, didn't he? He he looks a bit of a danger. I know he's been out injured, but I think he's such an important player for Mourinho to come back and and get get in that front line because. Um, they're certainly miss, been missing him this season. A really fantastic result for Tondea. I thought um, some of the players that they, you know, Jean Murillo for me has always stood out. I, I absolutely love him. And I thought um, 
Thiago Dantas had a, a pretty accomplished performance in, in that midfield as well. That's the best I've seen him play for Tondea. Yeah, so, man, uh, there's just something, isn't there, Albert? When, when, it's, when a team's struggling and, and, you know, stuff like these pens, you, you just feel like it all comes together at once, isn't it? You know, it, it, when teams are at the bottom, they're giving away sloppy pens. They're, they're making mistakes. And, and that's exactly what Marita we're doing at the moment. And they need they need to change fast. I think this podcast is quite unique in its general optimism and support towards Marita. I know a lot of people listening probably aren't big fans of them. We've got a bit of a soft spot for them, but they make it very difficult sometimes <laughs> to, to be positive about them. They're second from bottom. They're, they're beneath B-side as well, the team that I thought would go down rock bottom. You know, I think they've had a very poor season. The one thing I will say is at least their, I was going to say their goal difference is not that bad, but, you know, it's the second worst, it's the third worst in the league. So <laughs> there's really not that much to cling on to. I think they showed last season that they have what it takes to grind themselves through a relegation battle. Now, I'd hoped that this season they would build on that and that they would improve. It doesn't look like that's going to be the case. I thought they'd made some some positive signings in the summer. I have to say they've let me down a bit. Shadas has not been great. Vidigal has also been a disappointment. So, you know, it's not been the season that it could have been. So now they go back to the drawing board. They go back to what their bread and butter is really, sadly. And that's just focusing on grinding themselves out of the relegation zone. They've got to start doing that pretty quickly. And arguably, Albert, you know, you mentioned Jalas, you mentioned Vidigal. Those are two players who might lose their spots if they are sort of. I think of them towards the end of the last season, at the end of the last season, that relegation scrap. It was very much, you know, counter attacking Joltagu up top with, mm-hmm. with someone else. And, 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 you know, there wasn't, the, they weren't playing with wingers, you know, it was um, a different time. So they, they might revert back to that. And, and Jalas and Vidigal, who have sort of underperformed, could, could be missing out because of that. Well, look, I think that's about all we've got time for on this week's show that rounds up our Primera League roundup for another week. At this point in the show, we would usually give you some game recommendations for the week ahead. But as it's the international break, there's no games to do that for. Uh, international break this weekend, then the following week, we're back with some cup action before the league returns after that. I think Barney's off to have a little lem sip, maybe some honey and lemon. <laughs> Absolutely. But do you think you could play for a cold if you're a player? I would be one of them players with the Vaseline on their shirt. You know, they got the little mm. mark on their chest. That would be me. Reminds me of Patrick Vieira. I don't think I could play for a cold. I could barely uh, play for a podcast. <laughs> can barely podcast for a cold. Well, look, <laughs> Barney soldiered through and we've enjoyed this week. We hope you did too. We do just want to say again, a massive thank you to everybody who's been tuning in this season. We've had a great time. Uh, recording these episodes and we're going to keep going as long as the Premier League continues if you've enjoyed the show uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Football, where the conversation continues all week you could leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts should you wish or just recommend the show to a friend you know if you want to send it to your mates we want to keep growing we've had a lot of uh, support on Twitter recently with a lot of new followers so we want to keep things building make sure you spread the word well look That's all we've got time for this week. It just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time. Yeah, see you next week.